Hello, everybody, and welcome to Fortress Comic News, episode 326.1. I am your host today, Chris. Mike joins me for this interview, so Mike is also here. But for the intro, it is just me. So today uh, we have an interview, a great interview with one of our favorite comic creators and comic publishers, Peter Samedi of Alterna Comics. Peter's newest series, King Cryptid, has quickly become a favorite on the show. Uh, Mike and I both love this series. It just it hits all the right places uh, for us creatively, and we think that you would all enjoy it as well. So we talk about that and uh, mostly that. Uh, we wanted to get more into some of the alternative stuff, but our conversation about King Cryptid and where the story's going and what Peter's doing with it and why he chose to publish it through Alterna as opposed to another publisher. All these great conversation points come up. So we got so into the weeds on the book and I thought the conversation was so great and we didn't want to take up too much of his time. So that's what we discuss in this episode and it was awesome. So I hope you all enjoy it. And before I let you go over to that Remember to follow me on Twitter at Fortress Chris and follow Mike on Twitter at Fortress Ricker. Also, you can follow the show at Fortress Comics underscore on Twitter. And you can follow the show at FortressComicNews.com. And if you want to support us, the best ways to do it are podcast reviews, mobile reviews, five stars. They help out a ton. And we always appreciate it. And if you are uh, someone who likes the YouTube You can like, subscribe, share, comment down below over there. And then there's also the Patreon at patreon.com slash Fortress Comics, where you can be the super duper extra special listener. So thank you all so much. I won't take up any more of your time. Here's our interview with Peter Samedi. All right, everybody. We got another very special guest for you all, a returning guest and a publisher for one of our favorite uh, comic companies out there. Oh, yeah. Mr. Peter Samedi. Welcome, Peter. Hey. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, I'm glad I got to be here uh, for this interview because I think I missed out on the last one. Um, in the middle of the second campaign for King Cryptid, super pumped for that. Uh, I checked out the the first half there and I loved it. So um, there it is. There's a short box. Yeah, there you awesome. go. Get it, Bob. That's great. <laughs> Pimp it off, Chris. Yeah. Uh, so, Peter, let's talk about that book. Um, yeah. What is what is King Cryptid for the people that out there that haven't read it yet or checked it out? All right. Sure. Uh, yeah. King Cryptid is a supernatural hero. He resides in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Uh, he's been about he's about 500 years or so old. Uh, the thing is, uh, he used to be a human being and he was cursed and betrayed. And he was cursed to be not necessarily in the form that he's currently in. He was cursed to be in this uh, really uh, grotesque, feral, uh, horrible, monstrous state. So um, picture the way he looks now, which would be uh, he looks like this guy right here. Yep. Uh, but he's more snarly and twisted and his crown of bones a bit uh, kind of jagged. He's got red eyes. He's foaming at the mouth. He's just he's just very ferocious looking thing. Um, that was what he was cursed to be at. And, and he was cursed to kind of kill, eat, whatever the hell he could. Uh, so he did that for about 100 years. And in that cursed state, he was powerless to do whatever to stop it. So he was still 
having humanity on the inside. He was aware of what he was doing. So picture yourself in your like a, a dreamlike state and you, you have no control over the dream. So he's doing these things. He sees through eyes that don't feel like his own. And he's doing these horrible things for a hundred years, killing animal, human, uh, whatever, eating them. Um, so there was all this legend that got built around this creature because of the fact that this was what was going on. Around a hundred or so years, uh, this Wampanoag shaman, Black Moon, and I'm, we're going to touch upon this more in the story, but I'm kind of giving a, a little bit of a gist behind the character for those that, that uh, maybe want to have an inside scoop, uh, comes across this figure. And he knows who this might be from all the stories and legends he's heard. So he pretty much gives him this cosmic moonstone. He's brave enough to go up to this creature and he talks to him and he kind of is able to, with the help of this moonstone, put the creature back into a state of um, not humanity, but a, a subdued state. And by doing this and by pr uh, placing this cosmic moonstone, it's right there in the, uh, the crown it, above the third eye kind of thing. Um, by doing that, it brings out the humanity of King Cryptid again, but he stays in this beastly form. It calms down a bit, but he stays as a, as a beast, as a monster, as a creature. Uh, so with the Moonstone, it augments his power. It also decreases his power, depending upon the phases of the moon. So it has to get charged up. Think of it as a lunar cell. So as the moonbeams of a full moon are able to fully charge and, and, and kind of amp up his power set, he's got healing factor, super strength, flight. Um, he's got a bit of uh, not necessarily just telepathic ability, though. He can communicate with animals and cryptids. But he also kind of has psychic ability in terms of being able to conduct that psychic energy at times. Um, and he'll be doing a lot more with that moonstone as the series goes on. Uh, but when it's on the night of a new moon where he can't get that charge from those moonbeams, what happens is that he depletes his power. So the more he depletes his power, we touch upon that in issue two. Mm -hmm. On the night of a new moon, he's got to go back to this cosmic spring that's located inside of this cave. And this spring was formed eons ago when a giant uh, meteorite essentially crashed into the side of the cave and brought along with it a lot of different things and a lot of mineral deposits were formed inside of this spring. So by him going in there and kind of healing up and restoring his power, he's able to kind of keep that curse at bay. But if he doesn't do that, the curse takes over again and he tries everything he can to possibly not go down that road. Uh, but if the curse does take over again, he's pretty much back in that feral state where he's killing and eating whatever comes across his path until again, the night, the, uh, the light of the moon shines on that moonstone and restores his humanity once again. So, that's the gist of King Cryptid for the most part. He's not a king of the cryptids. Uh, we touch upon that inside of the uh, of issue three a little bit, but um, even in issue one, we mention it. So he's it's like Bigfoot, you know, he's described as Bigfoot because it's a big foot. You know, Mothman. It's it's a moth that's kind of like a man. Yeah, right. You know, it's yeah, yeah. it's a descriptive name. It's not necessarily you know he's he's this regal king of uh, the the creatures or whatever it is. Although there have been legends that make him think that uh, that have placed him as such. Uh, so we do a deep dive into that eventually, but we don't get there just yet. So to us, he's known as King Cryptid, but King Cryptid's real name, the only thing that he can even remember from his time as a human being is his true name, which is Crowin. And he's done a, a job of trying to his best to remember that. He remembers that word. He remembers that word. He clings to it. 
It's the only thing that reminds him that he wasn't always this monster. And he hopes that one day maybe he won't always be this monster because it's been 500 or so years. He don't even know if he could die. He's seen a lot of people die. <laughs> He's killed quite a lot of people when he was in a cursed state, but he doesn't know if he could die. So even when he turns into this killing creature thing or whatever it may be, um, or even when he gets really wounded, he's still not aware if he can die. He's never been pushed to that point yet. He's been hurt really bad and everything else, but he's got that healing factor and it's helped him out. So King Cryptid along the way has met a lot of different characters, a lot of friends, a lot of foes. Um, the whole series revolves around him and his world and uh, the different things that he's coming across. Now, um, within the series itself, the way that it starts and the way that it's set up is essentially that he hasn't really been around all too much. No one's really seen him in about 30 years. They think this thing is basically just a legend completely and, and, and totally uh, a generation or so has passed. But then all of a sudden now he's coming back again. And the reason he's coming back again is because he's starting to see more and more things going down that don't quite sit right with him. And he's seeing uh, how he defines it as, uh, dark magic being combined with corrupt science. There's a lot of experimentation going on. There's a lot of different abductions that are occurring. There's a lot of things in his neck of the woods that he's not too fond of. And he's basically just trying to protect his little corner of the world. So the world itself is starting to encroach upon that. And he's starting to say, you know what? Enough's enough. I have to do something about it. Important lore question here. <clears throat> When the Moonstone reaches its full power, does he evolve into Wigglytuff? <laughs> I I wish, but you know, I'd get sued. So I guess <laughs> yeah, not. I can't do that. <laughs> uh, that's damn. That's that's a shame. Uh, you know what I liked about the the first set of issues, uh, one through four. They on their own, they're standalone stories. You know, kind of focusing on a different cryptid and what have you. But then you talked about the experimentation. And the things going on behind the scenes, so there is that overarching plot, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Behind happening behind the scenes. Um, do we get a little more insight into that in the next set? Yeah, yeah. Um, especially for him. Uh, so the first four have built up uh, kind of a momentum in the cast of characters as well, but the next five, what's going to be going down? Because that's what's going on, um, and, and we're funding right now is issues five to nine. Uh, he really starts to see and he at one point specifically pieces together some of the things going on that a few of these things really don't add up. And it's and it's looking more and more suspicious, like it's not just something's going on. You know, uh, there's a, a, a government agency or there's something going on with the world or, you know, the, whatever it may be. It looks like there's more of a, a purposeful, sinister plot being played out here um, and he got a little glimpse of that within issue one uh, but he really gets it laid out that this is this is something widespread that's occurring it's not just even in his corner of the world uh, of the world this is across the board so yeah we really do kind of lay that out and go a little bit further with that and then uh, things I got about 40 issues mapped out so it's really wow. difficult for me to to not spoil certain things that occur right right <laughs> as much as I'd like to, because it, it'd just be fun to talk about them. Um, but it, it's things like, you know, in a couple of years down the road, all of these different things are being laid out with certain breadcrumbs here and there for the story elements. There's a lot of different layers to it. 
But these five issues in particular were introduced to the White Mountain Yeti. We're introduced to uh, this dragon, the dragon Vanderkin, which is essentially, right. um, I don't know if you're familiar with New Hampshire geography or landmarks at all, but there's this thing called the Old Man of the Mountain, um, which is basically kind of like the state uh, visage of uh, New Hampshire, even though the face has kind of fallen off over the past few years. Uh, it, it looks like the profile of a man's face. Yeah. Um, so the dragon uh, basically makes a home on the top of the old man. And the old man is essentially like a mentor to King Cryptid. Uh, King Cryptid goes to him when he's kind of confused. He doesn't know what's going on. Um, he kind of confides in him because the old man's 12,000 years old. Uh, King Cryptid, even though he's as old as he is, this dude so old that he saw civilization develop all around. Um, and, and everything on the earth changing at that point in time with human beings. Uh, so he tries to give him advice as best as he can. And, and, and King Cryptid really, he means something to him. But it pisses him off when this dragon is kind of making a home out of his friend. Uh, it doesn't help either that the dragon basically also kidnaps three tourists and has them up there. And he doesn't know what is going to be going on with them. Yeah. So King Cryptid's got to do something about it. And that's the plot of issue six. Uh, issue seven, we're introduced to Wendy the werewolf. We have a little bit where we touch back in 1821 at Dogtown Village in Massachusetts. Nice. Um, there's a nice wolf witch kind of plot going on. And then we fast forward a bit to modern day and we go up to Jackson, New Hampshire, where these things are occurring, where it looks like uh, something's killing the livestock and now killing one of the kids in the local town. So now that the villagers, the townsfolk are pissed off, they want something done about it. And a covert task force comes in to take care of it. Uh, King Cryptid, of course, steps in the way. Uh, and uh, we find out what goes on with uh, with those the werewolf situation, more or less. Issue eight, we kind of pick up where issue three left off. And it's 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 an alien abduction story, essentially. Nice. But there's more to it than that. So uh, if you read the first four issues, issue three, and you're looking to pick up with issue eight, we pick up there. Uh, and then issue nine, we go uh, uh, and we talk about Pukwudgies. And Pukwudgies are in Wampanoag <laughs> folklore. Yeah. They're these, in Wampanoag folklore, traditionally, they're these kind of like three foot tall, mischievous. They're almost like uh, a goblin-y, a leprechaun kind of vibe to them. Um, they, they used to like human beings, but somewhere along the lines, humans betrayed them. And now they don't really like human beings anymore. So they play tricks on them. Sometimes they're deadly tricks. Uh, in King Cryptid, they still play tricks and whatnot, but they're shapeshiftery in this one. Um, or at the very least, that's how King Cryptid interprets it. Uh, so he feels like he can't trust his senses uh, because these things are playing tricks on him. They've basically trapped him and captured him, and they're bringing him back as an offering for their father, who their father is, we find out in the issue. But uh, yeah, so th these it's an episodic series, as you could tell. Yeah. But there's an overarching plot that connects everything. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things I noticed in reading through it, and I mean, it's, it says it right in Indiegogo as well. And I'd love to hear as to why artistically you chose this is most of the issues are full color and that great newspapers, um, paper stock and everything. But then one or two of them are just black and white. Um, just curious to the purpose of that artistically. Um, well, okay, so the second issue, which is a black and white issue, it's on the night of a new moon. And looking at it, if we were to color it, it would have been so barely colored as it was that it didn't really make much sense to go into the colors. And Nick Hunter does such a great job with his, uh, I actually have the issue at arm's 
length right here. He does such a great job with his black and white artwork. Oh, yeah, it was such a beautiful issue. Yeah, yeah, it felt like a shame to put any color on that. Um, he will have colors on his work in issue five, but in issue six and issue seven, we go back to black and white for those issues. And um, issue six, again, it's a bit of a uh, artistic choice in terms of the tone of the story. Uh, and then issue seven, uh, it, it, we really wanted to establish that kind of uh, artwork again. It's on the night of a full moon this time around with the werewolf story. And the wolves are albino. They're pure white. Mm. So Interesting. what it is is that, and I kind of let it slip with, with, apostrophe, with an apostrophe, but the plural of wolves, but oh well. Um, <laughs> so they're albino. And on the night of the full moon here, where it's mostly an issue taking place at night, uh, Nick's back again. And um, it felt like it made a lot of sense to, to stick it with the black and white. People loved it. And I really love his work in black and white, too. So it just worked out. But I love the fact that we can kind of switch gears here with, with depending upon the story, the theme of the issue um, and the kind of subject matter that we're doing. Because even the issue with the kids, it's more of an all ages type of issue. Uh, Alex really handles it beautifully with the expressiveness of the characters. Because some artists can't draw kids. They could be great artists. But when they draw kids, it's frightening. You know, they're like these tiny adults. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's yeah. So you, you got to have an artist that could draw kids and, and have that expressiveness to them, that animated style and, and keep those features, you know, looking childlike as opposed to looking like tiny uh, 50 year olds. You're like these, you're like these kids have five o'clock shadows. What's happening? <laughs> yeah. They got like a lot of lines on their faces. You know, these yeah. kids have been through a lot. I guess. Yeah. They've seen some shit. Yeah. You know, <laughs> they've been working in coal mines two, or something like yeah, that. Two tours in Nam. Yeah. You know, so it's like there's some artists they're they're great but then when they draw kids i'm like man someone yeah. gotta tell these artists they gotta tone it down a bit you're drawing children you know right right that's <laughs> hilarious that's awesome um i mean i'm i'm still getting all the books after after all the spoilers by the way but i'm i'm super pumped for the good for good the well series. no matter what i say and i said it on the first four i talked about the books a lot and everyone's like you're giving so much away yeah. And I'm like, don't worry, when you read the first four, you're going to be like, oh, Pete barely really talked about much of anything. Right. Because yeah. there's so much to each issue and there's, there's a lot so many layers on. to the story. Yeah. And it's not a heavy read, though. I mean, the way you write, it's not like there's not a lot of exposition all up in your face. So, yeah, yeah. You still have a good approach on this. It doesn't feel like a, a dense read, but but there is a lot. You're building a lot within that world. Yeah. And that's uh, helped a lot by your, your art team as well. Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're great because what happens is when I write the script, what it is is I give them the scene. I don't do a full-fledged detailed script. I describe it as if I'm telling them the story without saying this person says that, this is what the, the panel looks like, this is how you should draw it. I'm saying I'm just describing each page and what's occurring scene by scene. And then I let them know I, I have a lot of trust in them uh, because they know what they're doing. They're so talented. I don't want to kind of hold them back. And I say, draw how you, you picture this scene to be. Now, if I want it to be a specific page looking a certain way, like a splash page, or if I want a certain uh, moment to be zeroed in on because that dialogue is going to be important, then I'll write that out. But 90% of the script is me just describing the scene. They go in it. They thumbnail it. They go, how does this look? More often than not, it looks fantastic. It's better than anything I could have explained. And then when they do the whole page, I'm able to retroactively script it and work with their art. So it's not that the art becomes a slave to the words, 
because this is a comic book. So the art should really be the thing that sings and that should be the thing that's on the top. You know, the writing is important, but it's a visual medium. So it's important for me to adjust my script, my words to their art and make sure that it's working and it's cohesive. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a huge part of it. Yeah. And, uh, Something I, I've asked other publishers that work at some of these uh, different smaller publishing houses that also print their books through them. And I'd love to hear your version of this is, you know, you are the publisher for um, Alterna, your, you know, head honcho, whatever you want to, you're labeled to be. What goes into the decision when you decide you want your book to be under the line? Like, how does that decision come about? And how much do you put into it uh, in terms of your thoughts and everything? Um, I might have to ask you to rephrase that. Do you, what, what specifically do you mean? So you're, is it correct to say that you're in charge of what books get published and don't get published through Alterna? Yeah. Yeah. So when you, when you have a, an idea and a comic that you want to put out, like uh, in the past, uh, I believe the book was the chair that you put out in the past. Yep. And uh, you decide, I'm, I want to create this book and all this. To slap that Alterna logo on it means something beyond just your book and, uh, and, and your uh, artistic vision. It's also a company that you're in charge of. So... I guess my question is like, did you put any, was there any hesitation to be like, maybe I should shop this somewhere else or it might look no, bad if never. I do it at Alterna? I, th or I think if anything, I, I would, I, I've seen other creators do things like that, that have a publishing company. And I've had even submissions come in where they have their own publishing company and they want me to publish it too. And I always, I always wonder why, why, if you have your own publishing company, put it through yours. Um, why are you putting it out somebody, you know, somewhere else? Why did you even start a publishing company really to begin with? Because that's how Alterna got started, essentially, was me self-publishing. And then it kind of picked up other people along the way. Um, now, does that mean that if the book isn't selling, that it still sticks around? No, no. So it plays by the same rules at that point. So if King Cryptid's a flop and no one wants it, it doesn't just keep getting shoved down everybody's throat. It, it's it's time to put it away. Um, but with King Cryptid especially, uh, it's it's really seemed to resonate with readers, which is so great. And um, and I'm excited to get it out there. And it's it's the first time I've had the ability to put a story out in about 13 or so years. And uh, I've definitely learned a lot since I've been putting out uh, books like uh, The Chair. Uh, but even then, it's it's one of those things where if I had to shop that around somewhere else or I felt that, you know, someone might think it's strange. I would go, I don't know. I think it'd be stranger for me to, to, to put it out at any other publisher. And then now I'm promoting that publisher and, and giving them the attention and the money. Right. And now all of a sudden my, my interests are completely and utterly divided. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah, now right. I'm promoting a, yeah. a competitor essentially. Um, or if I set up a separate imprint for myself, I would then start competing against myself, which would also be kind of strange to do as well. So um, yeah, there wasn't ever really a question about that, but like I said, if it wasn't resonating, if it wasn't selling, um, the same rules would apply and then it would be up for cancellation too. Yeah. I always think it's a catch 22 on that end, because if you put it somewhere else, like you said, it looks weird because 
you're promoting somebody else. But then you got people who look at it and be like, oh, Peter's putting on his label. Like, of course, he gets to print whatever you want. You know, you get right. You have and both it's like, ends of it. Yeah, yeah. And if they had their label, I'd encourage them to do the same thing. <laughs> Otherwise, what's, what are you, an idiot? Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> if that much faith in your project, I mean. Right. Exactly. Yeah, That's how yeah. I view it. You know, you're putting your money where your mouth is. Because if anything, if you're, if you're going to produce something and you're like, well, I wouldn't publish that on my label. I'll go give that to somebody else. I, I already think like a million different things here. I'm thinking, you know, you don't really believe in your work. Um, you're not really, uh, you're not really caring about the company you've created. <laughs> and then I'm also thinking, you know, is this like a, a, a publicity stunt? Is this a gimmick right. to try to like take some of their audience and then bring them back eventually to you? Um, so, and then even with other publishers too, not all of them do creator own. So, you know, you could be signing away some of the rights. And if, if you're going to be putting something out, why not put it on your own label and, and own the thing? That's what the whole thing's all about. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. There's, that's, a, that's a good point about that. Um, I was just surprised you had the, had the time to get five issues out in one campaign. So <laughs> It's amazing what you can do when you're not a part of the diamond grind. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> when you have the time to take to, yes. to write those that's, issues, right? Yeah, that's literally it. And it's not like I have a whole hell of a lot more time, but I have enough time where I can actually do something with that. And, and then the way King Cryptid is done where I can hire different artists. So I don't have to depend upon one artist to do, you know, all the issues. I can kind of uh, like a general manager of a sports team say, you know, you play that position, you play this position, you know, and you you basically hire people for the right position and you make them play to their strengths. Now, if I'm going to hire someone like I was talking about with the kids before, I'm going to hire someone that can't really draw kids to draw the book that has lots of kids in it. That's a stupid move. Uh, You know, that's you're playing people out of position and and asking them to play now to a strength when you just put them behind. You know, you're, you're telling your your pitcher to go be a catcher. You're, you're telling your first baseman to go be a center fielder. It, it makes no sense. You know, so you have to play people to their strengths. And when you're doing that, especially with artists, and you want them to not just produce good work because you're playing them to their strengths, but you want to make sure that they're also enjoying what they're drawing. So they're having fun. And it shows. Um, if, they're, if they're not enjoying what they're doing, that book is going to look tortured. It's going to look like they just they want to do anything but draw the book. And it's going to come through and the art's going to suffer for it. The story's going to suffer for it. So I make sure that I'm getting getting artists that um, they want to draw that kind of subject matter. They love drawing certain kinds of characters and they love making certain kinds of stories. Maybe they have an inclination more to sci-fi or fantasy or horror or action or whatever it may be. But I make sure to cast uh, the right artist for the right role, essentially. Right. Definitely. So you're you're running issues five through nine now on Indiegogo, yep. and uh, as we're recording this, you are over six thousand, almost six and a half thousand odd in the bag. And we've got, as usual with alternative books, one of the things that's really great with your line is uh, the books are cheap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I also want to let really you know good, that everybody. we've got the uh, the campaign on both Alterna and Indiegogo. So if you scroll down on the Indiegogo, you see the combined total of what the campaign is truly at. Yes, I knew you had it on Alterna. I wasn't realizing you were uh, combining the two on here. Yeah, okay. I make sure on the so Indiegogo. so much promo image on here, too. man. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It's well, awesome. There's, there's, a, there's it. a lot to show. I wish I could show even more, but I'd be giving too much away. Yeah. I, I know I'm I'm pumped for the trading cards. Can you talk about the like how how did you come about doing those? Oh yeah, the trading cards are awesome. So here's yeah. I got one right here. Uh, and nice. this is number seven. But the trading cards add an extra layer to the story. So each issue of King Cryptid has a front and a back cover when you mm -hmm. flip it. Yep. And that's every issue for the series for forever. Uh, so on the trading card set. I always thought it'd be great if there was a trading card set and a couple publishers have done it, but then they drop off. But every single cover was published as a card. Um, so like this, we have the first the cover A, I guess you could say as a, a trading card, but then cover B is a trading card as well. Now on the back of cover A, we have just basically what the issue's about, first appearances, information like that, publishing info. But then on the back of cover B's card, has what are called the, uh, it's, it's a Necro case file. And Necro is uh, the New England Cryptid Research Organization. And this organization is essentially a front. It's basically a front for uh, doing black budget research. Um, and if you're not familiar with black budget research, it's, it's basically where all the, I don't know where that money went and the government goes. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so um, especially when you're talking about defense spending, Pentagon, et cetera, et cetera, when they're like, I don't know where three trillion dollars went. It's just, <laughs> yeah. a, you know, it's an accounting error. Um, they go to all these black budget projects. These are two super, super special access, top secret projects. Um, and Necro is one of these divisions where this money goes. And they have a case file on the back of these cards that is detailing the events as they see it and as they've documented it. Now, when you read that, sometimes they're going to go along with what the issue has said. And then sometimes they're really not. Sometimes it's going to be a cover story. Sometimes it's going to be something else. So the, the readers out there that get the trading cards, and we're going to keep doing the trading cards for as long as we do the series, uh, you're going to get an extra level of story to that. Uh, when you get to read those trading cards and the, uh, the the necro case file and what they're reporting as to what happened, as opposed to you read the issue, you got the gist of it, you got the objective report of the issue, and then you read their report and you're like, wait a second, that's not really what happened. You know, so yeah. it gives you that little extra layer of, of storytelling and perspective. That's really cool. And uh, to correct myself, everybody, funding is up above 15,000. Yes, there you go. <laughs> That's quite a bit more. Uh, but, would you say, Peter, because you are doing an indie and alterna, is there like, a, would there be a preferred place to back, or is it just either or? I would or? encourage people that even if they want to go to Indiegogo, um, go check out the alterna site. Uh, I would say that the alterna site would be a, a better place to back if you want to get a lot of other things at alterna as well, because you can do that in one shot. You can get like yeah. four hundred something other items if you want. Shipping is a flat rate. If you spend thirty dollars or more on the Alterna site and you're in the U.S., shipping's free. If you spend, um, if you get all four hundred something items on the Alterna site and you live in Canada, shipping's still just going to be twenty five bucks. If you go in there and you spend that, and uh, it's gonna, and you're outside of Canada and the U.S., it's going to be thirty five. So it remains a flat rate. Um, now, of course, if you then go on and then you order stuff two or three or four months later during the course of the campaign. Um, then you pay shipping again. If you want me to combine everything and then ship it to you, just send us a message and let us know, and then we'll deduct the shipping and we'll refund the shipping uh, charge that was on the second one. Um, sometimes people let us know. Sometimes people don't. Sometimes people just flat out go, I know I'm paying extra shipping. Keep it. It's a tip. You guys, you know, you pay, you got $2 comic books. Yeah, right. <laughs> so exactly. like, I could, yeah, we could, we could, yeah. you know, do the extra five bucks or the 20 bucks or whatever if we're in Canada. Right. That's how I've always felt when I, when I want to like go to your site and 
you know, scratch the itch of buying because I'm usually all digital now, but I'm like, I'll head over to Alterna and just like, yeah, I'll add this one to my car, add this. Oh man, I'm still under 20 bucks. Okay. I can add a few more books. You know, that's pretty yeah, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, uh, and, and, you know, the digital books are great on King Cryptid, especially we've got the, uh, the simulated newsprint on the digital books. Uh, but I absolutely encourage getting the physical print books if for you sure. can. That's that's the best way to enjoy it. And I will say that I'm all digital now, but I did buy the physical for King Cryptid. So the, um, just the like you said, the art and the I, that newspaper style is is what I'm what I'm after when it comes for physical books. I love that. So oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Ours. I mean, for those that don't know uh, what everyone's talking about, so uh, you got the glossy cover, but then on the inside you've got the and you can see because there's no glare. Yep. We've got the newsprint and the newsprint looks great still. Yeah. It's amazing. Some it's, people go, Oh, you can't have modern, you know, coloring on newsprint. It's going to uh, look like, crap. yeah, you can, <laughs> well, you just got to know how to prep it. That's all. Yeah. It What's funny awesome. to me about that too, is I notice cause the big two, especially have been messing around with different printing styles and different paper and everything. And I think, DC has moved over to this uh, not glossy kind of hard paper stock, which is really nice. But I just I sit there and go, just go back to newsprint. Your books won't be four dollars, or they still probably will be because it's DC. But yeah. they don't have to be four dollars, and they yeah. still look great because I buy these books at Alterna, like uh, Tinsel Town and Legend of Log and King Cryptid, and they look phenomenal. So, that's yeah. the, that's yeah. the problem once you're owned by like mega conglomerates you know you don't want to go hey look we could do this amazing thing for our customer base and lower the price a dollar a book and we'll probably gain more customers and it'll offset and then the, the person in charge is just like you just told me that we're going to lose money that's all they keep hearing it's like after that mm-hmm. it's the charlie brown noise you know it's just but if uh, it was just comic companies, you know, they, they could go, yeah, that would be great. We could do that for the readers. Um, and that's what we're doing. So we're going to be keep, we're going to keep doing newsprint for as long as we possibly can. Um, it absolutely is cheaper, but you do still have to print uh, a certain amount. You do, you do still have to in, in total of the run. You have, you have to print at least 3000 copies. Mm-hmm. Um, so we easily hit that. But there's situations where if you're an indie and you're just printing one book, let's say, you know, maybe you need 500 or 1,000 or whatever. You're like 3,000. I don't know what the hell I'm going to do with 3,000 books other than, you know, I've got new furniture. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, you throw a drape over it and, right. and say, it's here's the table. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, so I get where, where people are coming from on that level. But uh, we've been blessed with this printer, especially because I think this is maybe the fourth or fifth one we've used, and uh, they're hands down the best to to work with. I love the quality they're putting out, but it was a uh, we've been doing newsprint now for six years, so it was a six year journey to find these guys. I mean, we've been with them for two, but still, it's uh it's tough finding a real a real solid printer um, mm-hmm. that you can work with, you can depend on them. They understand that condition matters. You know, you'd be surprised mm-hmm. how many printers, especially um, especially in newsprint. Yeah. Because with newsprint, they're used to printing, you know, story, uh, 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 grocery store flyers. Right. And, and things that don't matter. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're going to throw them out. up and thrown out. Yeah. 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 You know, so when you tell them, hey, look, can you can you like treat these things like they're going to be <laughs> bought and cherished? Just, yeah. It's it's you're speaking another language. Yeah. Um, but these guys, they get it. And I'm so grateful for that. That's awesome. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I've noticed that you, 
when you open the book and the the newsprint quality, um, you, I mean, from what I've seen in the past, you don't expect the colors and the art to pop like it does, but it, it really does, like you said. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it leads to a, uh, like I said earlier, a cheaper product. I mean, you you go to the Indiegogo. And you've got $5 for the digital bundle. And if you want to get the physical 15 and if you go to Alterna's website, which I guess now I'd recommend, um, the whole five issues is cheaper. It's, uh, let's see, two, four, six, eight, eight, 11, 12 bucks. And then shipping, yeah. of course, but still, yeah. Yeah. that's awesome. That's, that's um, really yeah. cheap. On the Alterna site, we can offer the option where you can get them signed or not. And so this way I can actually say, because they're all signed on the Indiegogo, but on mm-hmm. the Alterna site, if you don't want them signed, you just pay cover price and that's that. And the cover price on the King Cryptid issues is $225 uh, for the new ones coming out. For the old ones coming that, that just came out is $1.99. But um, yeah, like you said, you get these five comics and you're not really paying a whole hell of a lot. I mean, that's how much like two issues maybe nowadays might cost you for the cost of the five comics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know I appreciate the the ads, the ad perks you usually run when you do your campaigns because for a full full page or half page ad, because we've done a couple, uh, and I I think Unit Forty Four or something like that. But yeah, yeah, uh, Wolf and Batsy. But um, that's a cheap price for a for a full page ad in a comic book, especially one that you're at least handing out three thousand copies of. You know? Yeah, right. yeah, like so. in in total between all of the King cryptids that sold, it was about 2,500 to 3000 copies. Yeah. You know, so, and I always encourage if someone's going to get ad uh, space and print, especially, you know, you make sure that you design it so that someone even a year or two or three from now can find it and still go to your website or whatever it may be. Right. Yep. Um, You know, if you're doing something that's a little more time sensitive, like it's a campaign, uh, I don't really recommend going print unless you do have something that says, you know, check out the campaign on there and then go to the website. You know, if, if you find that the campaign's over, that kind of a thing. But you always want to design that ad to get the most out of your ad dollar. And it's not expensive. Like you said, it's 25 bucks for a full yeah, page. It's crazy. You get a, a back cover for $100, you know. Yeah. And, um, and the thing is, is that we'll reprint those ads too if we ever go back to print. So it's not mm-hmm. like it's something where, um, it's a one-time thing and that's that. Uh, and then also we put those ads in the digital versions too. So you're hitting a whole other audience on that level on top of it. Uh, but yeah, I recommend anybody to go check that out. We'll have ads up eventually for the King Cryptid campaign, probably August 1st. Yep. Awesome. Yeah. I know you guys usually do them a little later, but, um, yeah, I can't, I can't wait for the next, uh, the next, uh, set of books. And, and before we let you go today, I know we've taken quite a bit of your time already um i'm a i i grew up in the new england area so i lived in massachusetts for a long time but did you have like an interest in in all all the cryptid and and folklore and stuff like that of because there seems to be quite a bit in new england right so oh yeah yeah is that always an interest of yours before before you started doing this this yeah it it was but but um and and all that stuff was always an interest i was interested in that more uh for a longer period of time than i was interested in comics not too long okay um so i was like i don't know four or five years old interested Mm -hmm. in like the pyramids and ufos and Bermuda triangle and bigfoot (laughs) and you know 
um, it just it, it fascinated me because it's it's these things that they say that don't exist, but they do exist. Mm-hmm. You know, right. it's, so it's all. The, and then if they exist, they don't know how they were made. You know, there's yeah. like, it's, it's it's endlessly fascinating. It still is. Um, so it kind of is what got me into comics. A lot of my first comics revolved around those kinds of themes of these things that, that seemed, you know, larger than life. And, and do they exist? Uh, you know, I don't know. How is it possible? You know, so all these different kinds of characters that, that were out there, especially the supernatural type of characters, really interesting to me. And even uh, the, the idea of Batman being like an urban legend, even though like you're reading the comics, there's a bit of a dramatic irony to it. Mm-hmm. You know, you know who he is. You know, he's a human being. But then to some people on the streets of Gotham, he's this myth. He's this thing right. that, you know, isn't really, does, is he human? Is he a, a creature? Who the hell knows, right. you know, to some of these guys. Um, so all those things really interested me. And um, the folklore in the New England area is is so deep that I had a, a, what I thought was a pretty good understanding of a lot of it. And then doing a lot of research for this book to kind of tie in some things. Uh, you, you go down that rabbit hole. Yeah. And just discover there's there's an endless amount of stuff here. And uh, I mean, even New Hampshire being uh, the first recorded anyway in America, uh, alien abduction with yep. the Benny and Barty Hill, uh, that whole thing with, with, with them. I mean, and, and that I'm going to touch upon a little bit more of that. Uh, some of my theories behind that are going to and various other uh, things are going to work themselves into the King Cryptid series. But, um, you know, that whole that whole thing with uh, with them is 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 crazy uh, right. because, I mean, they went under hypnosis at various different times mm-hmm. and that's the story was the same every time. And um, there was a lot of stuff that had happened with them. And uh, and Barney even I mean, he he unfortunately passed away kind of young. I think he was like in his late 40s. Oh. I, I, I don't know what it is about that area, but I, I lived in Western Mass for almost 60 year, six years. And I remember when they redid Unsolved Mysteries on Netflix, uh, there was an episode that came out about the Berkshires where I was living and UFO abductions. And it had happened in the town that I was living in and several towns to where like it wasn't just one abduction that night. It was several county like across the county, different towns. And they didn't realize until separate groups of people started contacting the radio station at first the radio station was like no you guys are crazy but like old people young people everybody was contacting them and it's like how did i never hear about this you know so that you're you're also telling stories and you're like yeah. you're keeping that folklore alive because a lot of the times people aren't telling these stories anymore you know like i didn't i didn't see that or read that anywhere so i think that's really cool yeah, yeah. And it's um I hope people look up a lot of different things that I mention within these issues. I hope it does for uh, another generation of of readers because I feel like King Cryptid is a is a solid enough series you could give it to a 10-year-old or you could read it as an adult and you could get something out of it. Um there's nothing tremendously gory. Uh there's there's no strong language in it. You know, even though we do have uh, sometimes intense themes within it, all I could think is, you know, the comics I grew up with uh, were like that. I feel like so many things have been dumbed down nowadays to the point that, at least for me, it's it's difficult to enjoy it. Um, so with King Cryptid, I, I think it's really I think it's really great if people are out there and, and they go, is that real? Is that happening? You know, has that happened? And then they go look it up and maybe they go down that rabbit hole, too. Um, so it adds another layer uh, to the story for them. So uh, I, I, I'm really 
like I said, I'm fascinated with the subject matter. I've always been, and I hope it comes across with the stories and I hope people enjoy them and they get something out of it. But if they're really into the, the stuff, the way I'm into it as well, I think they're going to get something else out of it too. And um, hopefully it adds a, a layer of fun to some yeah. of this stuff. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And real quick, I, it would be off brand if I didn't ask this question. So I've got to ask you, can we expect to see sheep squash at some point? <laughs> That's Chris's favorite. Sheep squash, man. Um, well, the thing about the King Cryptid series is that uh, most of the things that you see, even when we do like a werewolf or a dragon or a yeti, uh, still have a, a, a bit of our own spin on it, uh, you know, either uh, through the origin of the creature or the physicality. Um, could I work in something that's like a sheep squatch? Yeah, sure. I could work in something that's like a sheep squatch, but um, it, it won't be like, you know, the sheep squatch maybe that's near and dear to you. Yeah, that's the one that's we, uh, we, just one need we discovered. Out. I think we discovered that one day looking up cryptids. I forgot how we found sheep squatch. I was like, yeah, wow, the, the how sh- I never... Sheep squatch is, uh, I swear, it's crazy. It's it's really it's crazy. You know, yeah. there, there's these things where where you're like, how could that possibly exist? And um, and people go, well, you know, if they existed, you'd find the, the bodies and this and that, whatever. But the thing is, not if it's a cover up. Not if right. there's some kind of a. You're not going to find a damn thing, you know. Yeah, and then whoever right. comes forward with it and drags in the carcass of you know a sheep squatch or a, a sasquatch. Like, no, or it's a whatever. Cow. Yeah, yeah. You know, um that person is probably going to go through a really difficult time yep. or is mysteriously going to have a heart attack one day, yep. you know? And, and well, what was there? That was nothing. That was, yeah. you know, was, that was just some kind of roadkill that they brought in. It's, you know? yeah, it's crazy because you, yeah, the, uh, I go back to unsolved mysteries, the one guy who reported UFOs and now like 20 years later, people are talking about his story. He lost his job and like, yeah, his career was crushed. Like nobody would hire him. He was the crazy UFO guy. And he just happened to be the guy at the call center that night <laughs> that took yeah, the phone call. Now, now there's all these things that are getting disclosed left and right, you yeah. know, and, and I, I question a lot of the motive behind it. Um, and that's like a whole conversation for a completely other show. Yeah. Uh, right. But, yeah. uh, but it's one of those things that every time when I hear stuff like that, uh, all I could think is if 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 the motives are true and and they're going okay, you know what time enough time has passed, we think we should kind of come clean. All I could think is all the lives that were ruined or, oh, yeah. or taken right. in some of these cases to keep that secrecy. Yep. Um, yeah, it's insane. You know, and then when people are so quick to trust the government on every issue, I'm like, really? Yeah. You know, all you got to do is look at a couple of different issues within the government to go, well, that's how deep they'll go to keep a certain secret safe. Oh, yeah. You know, and and so I don't know how you can just say, well, everything is is fine. You know, they told it. They told us it wasn't UFO. So it isn't. It's swamp gas. You know, swamp gas. (laughs) Yeah. There's so many cases of swamp gas. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah, There's Um, a lot of swamps around here I didn't know about. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, and uh, it's. It, it really is. Uh, it really is interesting. I mean, we'll even be touching upon um, and not by name, but touching a little bit upon even things like MK Ultra and, and nice. projects nice. like that. Yep. That, that have Very been done, cool. like these kind of brainwashing um, uh, kind of projects that have occurred. I mean, for people that maybe think all of this kind of stuff is crazy and, and cover ups and conspiracies and things like that aren't real whatsoever. I mean, 
Um, I, I think they might be surprised how many different things, even on a, a show like X-Files, they kind of talked about a lot of different things. They didn't do too much of a deep dive into it, right? but they'd bring it up and, yep. you know, look some of it up, even things like Operation Paperclip. Like it's, it's pretty crazy what, what has gone on um, in the world that that's 100% real. Like these yeah. aren't, you know, made up. I'm, I'm like, you know, uh, I don't know. You come across something one day and you're like, that totally must have a connection to this and that and the other thing. And the, the, the crazy conspiracy theorist thing where they got the wall with all the strings, <laughs> all the, the strings, the tags, yeah. Yeah. you know, and that's the image that they want to portray that most people who have these kind, kind of things are. Um, but, but all they're really doing is, is essentially kind of logically piecing things together and doing uh, detective work more or less. You know, I'm kind of surprised DC Comics hasn't done a story with Batman where he's a crazy conspiracy theorist. Yeah, I never thought about you know? that. Yeah, right. he's the world's greatest conspiracy theorist, not not yeah. detective anymore, conspiracy yeah. theorist, and that they're trying to pretty much gaslight the public against Batman. Yeah, you know, I mean, and um, because that's the world we live in nowadays, where if you are Batman and you're putting the chess pieces, you know, in place and saying, "I'm I'm ten moves ahead," I know what you're gonna do. Yeah. Um, now they call you crazy. You're a conspiracy <laughs> theorist. You know, there's no way that could all happen. Yeah, there's no. And, and as it happens, as it happens, as it yeah. happens, you know, they'll right. find a different way to, to, to right. ruin you and, and make sure no one listens to you. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I feel sure. like uh, I need to pitch to you a new YouTube show where it's Chris and Peter's Cryptid Conspiracy Corner because uh, <laughs> I'm foaming at the mouth trying to keep my mouth shut here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, I'll have you on for um for hosting the hosts. I can have both of you guys on on my channel. Nice, and That'd we can touch uh, a little bit upon that. that. That that show is essentially where um I interview interviewers. Ah, well, you know, I, yeah. I know sometimes people don't often get a chance to get out when uh, and go on to other channels when they're the interviewer. Yeah, you true. Know? So I want to have a have a channel and a show for you guys um, to kind of pay it forward and also go. Hey, you know, go check out their show. And then give them a, a shout out and, and, and hopefully people go over there and go, oh, wow, look at all the stuff that, that's going on over there. But uh, we could definitely touch upon some yeah, we love that. cryptid conspiracy stuff. <laughs> yeah, because I, I certainly could talk UFOs all day, man. Yeah. All day. <laughs> but uh, Peter, I think we've taken enough of your time. We really appreciate you stopping by. Um, and I, I know we're going to send everybody to Alterna. Uh, do you have any social media stuff like that you want to uh, talk about? Send people um, to? I would tell people to follow me on Twitter, but I don't want to tell people to like go on to Twitter if they don't have to. Yeah, I don't even want to yeah. be there. I don't. Yeah, um, none of us do. <laughs> so I would say instead, go to YouTube. Uh, I'm on YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash Peter Samedi. You can find me on there. And, and I do all kinds of different interviews and, and talk about the, the books and everything else all the time. So um, that's, a, that's a healthier place to be Yeah, uh, than Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Understandably. And for everybody out there watching and or listening, make sure to check out those show notes because there'll be links to the Indiegogo and Alterna's website so you can check out King Cryptid. And please do. We talked about it in the last episode. Love the book. So make sure to check those links out. Peter, Thank thanks so much Appreciate for taking it. the time, man. Uh, yeah. We always love uh, talking to you. And uh, look Thank forward to the next time. Thank you for having time. me. Appreciate thanks, it. Man. Thank you, guys.